0: So hello and welcome to this, the sixth in our series of podcasts brought to you by Thrive London and Good Thinking. My name's Tracy Parr and I'm the director of Good Thinking, London's digital mental health and well-being service. Today we're talking to Jack Appley, a young choral conductor who has recently started in his career and has his whole career and life ahead of him. Coronavirus has unfortunately meant that his life has had to go on hold for the moment and Jack's going to talk about what that means for him and what strategies he's using to keep mentally healthy. Jack will be talking to Richard Graham who is our clinical director for good thinking and a psychiatrist by training. Over to you Richard and Jack.
1: Thank you, Tracy, And thank you, Jack, for making the time to share with our listeners what an extraordinary period of your life you've been living through. I think as Tracy was saying, she really paints a very vivid picture of how one moment your life appeared to be going in one direction, and then almost perhaps in a flash, you found yourself having to think through all sorts of issues. So thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Perhaps if we were to step back to that point in time where most of us didn't really understand what this thing called coronavirus was, let alone what sort of impact it would have, what sort of ideas did you have about this year and um, how you might be developing in your career and life?
0: Well, January came, the new year came, and my diary was full of regular events, which I depend on financially and musically, artistically, rewardingly. But there was also new things. There were new things for me to look forward to, which uh, included supposed to be going to, um, to Paris to be working with the Coeur de Radio France, the equivalent of the BBC Singers uh-huh. professional choir out in Paris next month, which I was very excited about. It. i was be making my debut with them, and unfortunately that's been cancelled. But in addition to the foreign work as well, I was supposed to be going up to the Buxton International Festival. Basically all my work dried up over the space of a week and a half, but It was quite confusing because obviously, I don't know if you It seems such a long time ago now, but when the virus was making headlines and making headway, particularly in the UK, there was a great sense of confusion as to what was acceptable and what wasn't. And I must say, particularly for somebody in my position, for whom if you don't go out to work, then you're not getting paid. You don't get any money to pay the bills. So even if you Mm -hmm. weren't feeling 100% well there wasn't an incentive, there wasn't a clear incentive made by the government, the authorities. There wasn't an incentive to stay at home and to self-isolate. I had to go out and work. Uh, And it wasn't until that my employers came back to me and said, actually, unfortunately, we've had to cancel this rehearsal, we've had to cancel the concert. At that point, the choice was taken out of my hands and I had to stay at home and I had to self-isolate. And that was when the problem really became very
1: real. Well, I think you're describing for us very clearly there that you started the year with all sorts of great opportunities and I guess for what is quite sort of early in your career, the chance of paid work. Correct. And then suddenly decisions are made, you're hearing from people who would be using your services that the rehearsal, the concerts, etc. were no longer going to happen. Over what time period are you talking that that sort of news was starting to sink in?
0: It all happened over about two weeks, mm-hmm. very, very quickly, and it started off quite slowly. And then as everybody else uh, in the profession caught on, then the cancellations came through quicker and quicker, and the diary came emptier and emptier.
1: So it was like a sort of domino effect, was it? That Once one sort of cancellation started, the rest seemed to fall after.
0: Absolutely. And partly because the the people who I was working for, there were serious questions of whose responsibility it was to take action. Uh Was it the responsibility of the people who were running the choirs and myself to take a decision on behalf of everyone else to cancel the concert? Or was it the responsibility of the people who were unwell or who were at great risk? Was it their responsibility to stay at home? and stay out of the way and to remove themselves from that situation? Or was it the responsibility of myself and the committees to make the decision for everybody? And then you've got the added dimension of, well, if all the other local ensembles are taking these decisions, we can't be the ones to think that we are, you know, superior to everybody else and to keep our concerts running. So there was an element of peer pressure going on between businesses and communities at the same time. Yeah. And I think it would have been a little bit easier if the decision had been taken out of our hands from day one, rather than leaving it to the uh, societies and the musical institutions to actually make the decision for themselves on behalf of their followers and audiences. Mm -hmm.
1: It left you with the burden of almost having to make a personal choice, torn between needing to work to get some income Mm -hmm. and also wanting to follow the latest guidance of what the best thing to do was for just... Everyone really,
0: absolutely, and um, a moral dilemma, as you say, yeah. more than anything else. It was it was very very challenging.
1: Yes, but not a moral dilemma of someone in a position of comfort and security, someone who might be going from opportunity to perhaps nothing.
0: Correct, and you have to think about yourself, but you're also thinking about the people who you work with. And I'll be perfectly honest, the majority of my choirs tend to have a slightly older demographic Mm -hmm. and are therefore more at risk than myself of contracting and suffering from this disease. So I had to think about myself, but I also had to more importantly think about them and the audiences that would come to hear them.
1: I think one of the things you were letting us know as well, that it's much harder to adjust to a situation that is continuing to evolve. I think your point about if somebody had made a simple decision you know, clarified what the status of the concert halls and orchestras and choirs was to be then in a way, you can adjust to that in in one step. But this is, I think you said over a two-week period, a period of confusion, uncertainty, anxiety, and slowly, bit by bit, the news is sort of sinking in as well.
0: Very much. And I, along with several of my friends and colleagues, took the view, we we could see the writing was on the wall after a week. Mm. And we sort of said to ourselves, you know, I'm going to carry on working for as long as I can before everything dries up and at that Mm. point then the decision will be taken out of my hands. But until then, I'm just going to keep going and doing what I can for as long as I can before I, I physically can't do anything, whether that be they cancel the concert or the government issues a lockdown of some description.
1: And I guess that's one of the things all of us can do in these situations, which is to try and be as active and to live in hope for as long as we can. It's very true. But as you say... The writing was sort of somehow on the wall as well, and perhaps as a nation, a city, in terms of London, we were all kind of hoping if we turned a blind eye, it might also go away. It's very true, and I'm sure I'd speak for a lot of people when
0: I say you wake up every day and you think, right, it's going to be gone, but wait, no, it's still here, Mm. and it's like a bad dream which just keeps on coming, and you think time is going to help you and time's going to get rid of this problem but unfortunately it's not the case and now we all are you know a good two weeks on from that time period that I was talking about mm-hmm. and the reality I think for, for a lot of people not for some people but I speak for myself the reality has sunk in that this is the situation we are faced with and we're just going to have to get on with it and deal with it and rise and merge the other side.
1: So somehow there's a sense that if you can engage with it, if you can face the facts, there might be some hope of then sort of also being able to see the other side of emerging from this at some point, whilst we're still having to live through a huge amount of uncertainty.
0: Absolutely. And one thing I've been working on today and over the last few days is I'm already preparing my Christmas concert. I've been given a provisional date Mm -hmm. from the University of Birmingham where I direct a, a women's choir there. Uh, and a carol service date. So actually, I've been spending the last two days going through Christmas carols, <laughs> which has been giving me great cheer and amusement. But they have a, a programme deadline of coming up at the end of May, and you know I have to address that, and I have to look forward, and I have to plan ahead for, for Christmas and the rest of the year ahead, hoping that come October, which is when the university term will begin, I will be, and we will all be in a position to carry on as normal or as as normal as possible.
1: One of the things I think you've touched on is the support that you were able to get from your friends and, and perhaps from family members as well, That. No one was alone in that situation. This was a situation shared by pretty much every musician, every choir singer, no matter how successful or sort of relatively small the the scope of their work. Did you find that was one of the aspects that helped you sort of negotiate this uncertain and distressing time? It certainly helped
0: me accept the situation for what it was and accept that this was completely out of my control. Mm -hmm. And I think quite a lot of this whole situation is about control. What can we control? We can't control the virus shutting down, you know, closing off a lot of opportunities and work to us, but we can control how we react. And what has been so devastating about this virus, and also quite interesting, is the fact that it doesn't discriminate against anybody. And the repercussions don't discriminate against anybody. I have had mentors and teachers who are far older, far more experienced uh, and have far more Grammy Awards than I do, (laughs) Uh, who are in exactly the same position and their income has completely dried up. And these people are at the top of their game. They're at the top of the profession. But they're in exactly the same position as myself, who has only been out of higher education, studying for my master's, only about two years ago. And we're in exactly the same situation. That helped me to accept the situation for what it was. My friends have also been in a very, very similar situation to myself, having just recently left university, and also trying to establish themselves and trying to create a life for themselves and that's obviously been put on hold as it has for me but I've benefited a lot from and I'm immensely grateful for the support of my family they're at the end of the phone the majority of my family lives up in the Midlands so actually not being able to see them has been uh, a shame but you know I'm in contact with them daily and that brings me comfort as well And I'm very fortunate to also have family here in London as well, who I've actually moved in with as a result of leaving my flat, to whom I'm immensely grateful. But I do acknowledge that actually not everybody in my position has that luxury of being able to have family who they can call on in the city that they have formed their livelihood in. So it's hugely challenging for those people to have the carpet ripped from underneath their feet and have seemingly nowhere to go.
1: Yes, and I I think, and you may remember these experiences as a university student, as you've taken steps towards independence and had a flat of your own and, and an income of your own, to find yourself going back to almost like a younger time may not just be good news. It may be that there are lots of restrictions and frustrations not just imposed by the government but by sharing a space with others again that perhaps you wouldn't have been doing a few months back. It's just
0: a bit different really. I was fortunate to stay with my family here in London whilst I was studying for my master's and then as you say the idea was that when I graduated I'd be able to establish a livelihood which would enable me to move out and to start building a life and as a result of this I've obviously moved back and it's, it's a bit different to mm. that independent life that I managed to achieve for myself. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's a bit different for them as well, because they'd, they'd obviously had me there for, two, for, uh, for, for yes. two years. And they thought I was going and then, uh, and then now <laughs> I'm back. So. But I'm very grateful and my life's been put on hold and it's been put into storage in, in one way. And I have the power to unlock it again, you know, when the time comes.
1: I think one of the things that you're saying that's really helpful, and I I hope would resonate with many people listening to this, is that one of the things that can help us in extraordinary times is when we can still stay in touch with ourselves and acknowledge how we're feeling. And I think you're capturing a blend of being really appreciative of what you had, that, you know, compared with many others, you may still have things to be grateful for. This virus doesn't treat people differently. Whether you're great or good or wealthy or not, you know, there are many things that will resonate, although some, of course, will be having a much more difficult time. But to just be accepting of how you feel about it might reduce some of the pressure to do lots of things that may be a bit of a sticking plaster and not helping really with those greater aspirations and goals that you had. It's very
0: true. And I think it's very important to be very open and honest with yourself Mm. and with your loved ones and those particularly in close proximity to you because I'm sure I speak for everybody when actually there are going to be good days and there are going to be bad days. I mean, there's days where I felt like very in control of my situation and what what was going to happen, but there have been other days where I've actually felt, you know, very upset and, you know, a sense of despair and just like, oh my goodness, like what has happened? But, you know, fortunately there are days where I feel in control more, than when I'm despairing but you know it's absolutely okay to have those moments where you're just not having a good day or you know it's very very important to to, to acknowledge those behaviours.
1: Sure sure I think to have the capacity to just sort of be truthful to yourself may actually help with those swings from hope to despair and back again sort of lead to some sort of activity or actions that uh, may improve things overall.
0: It all sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? Like a Wagnerian opera, Hope and Despair. (laughs) I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone did write an opera about this episode, you know, five years on from now. People are being so creative in their time, aren't they? I mean, people are writing, people are composing, people are thinking, people are picking up languages, people are doing so many things to occupy themselves during this time. It's yeah. uh, We'll have to see what they create with those creative juices over the, uh, over the coming months.
1: <laughs> no, I'm sure that's right, and as, uh, your field is music. I mean, there is much in the world of music that touches on the darker aspects of life and the experience of loss and those issues that are so distressing for us as much as it's about the better side, the romantic and positive elements, so you you may well be right. I was wondering, though, in, in these weeks of adjustment, were there things that people said that kind of helped you sort of bear the strain of those moral dilemmas and challenges?
0: The first thing that comes to mind is actually the opposite I was speaking to my girlfriend the other day and she had some friends come round who were speaking about the coronavirus and how it's affecting them. And these were all, uh, the majority were employees people. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, oh my goodness, I'm saving so much money from this. Because obviously they're not having to go into work, they're not travelling, they're spending Mm -hmm. less on food. Mm -hmm. So actually there is a significant portion of the population who is saving money from this crisis, actually. And then there are some people who are hemorrhaging money as well. So when I heard that, it, it sort of stayed with me, actually. And I was thinking, there are two sides to this coin. And there are the people who are really, really struggling, and there are the people who are struggling less which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. The question was, what helped me, wasn't it? What what helped get
1: me through? Yeah, just wondering if, if somebody had said something at some point or a number of people repeatedly said uh-huh. something similar that kind of helped you sort of feel there was something to hold on to in all that turbulence, all that churn.
0: What I've held on to is what I've seen, particularly on social media actually, is the ingenuity and the imagination uh-huh. that people are using just to get on really and there are so many online virtual choirs sprouting up there's Uh been a lot of coverage about that and that's been interesting and i'm pleased that people have been able to establish those and Particularly more so for the people who are actually using them, for the people who are actually singing, because it provides an outlet for people and gives people Mm. a sense of normality. All these thousands and thousands of people who go to their choir practices every week, you know, for some people, that might be their one time of social contact with, you know, their friends. And that has been taken away from them through no fault of Mm. their own. Mm. So actually having an opportunity to converse and to share in music making, whatever form it may be, and whatever platform it may be, I think is of huge importance to them. And that's been inspiring to see, actually, and seeing how people's ingenuity has been able to touch
1: people and benefit their lives. I I think what you're touching on, the virus and the lockdown, in a way, has created a certain sort of space, Mm. perhaps more in terms of time and what you can do with it, more than going out and being active in terms of offline meetups or choir gatherings, etc. And perhaps that is... Tapping into, you know, imagination, creativity that perhaps has been sort of, I don't I wouldn't want to say suppressed, but perhaps mm. marginalised by our frantic, busy schedules and sort of rushing from one activity to another. I totally agree. I mean, I'm just as guilty as this as well as everybody else.
0: But <laughs> how many times have we said to ourselves, it was like, oh, do you know, what? I'd love to pick up a language, I'd love to do more art, or I'd love to, you know, go out and do some more sport i'd love to love to do all these things And actually you know we've convinced ourselves that we don't have the time to do it but now as you say we are all well i for one for, the, for apart from people who are essential workers there are a lot more time rich and have these platforms and avenues which they are free to explore now to
1: to a greater extent mm. than what they were previously so this is an opportunity in a way not to be missed Absolutely. Well, one thought I was also having, because of your particular area of work, have you used music itself as a way of navigating or negotiating this turbulent period of your life? And which directions did you go in?
0: When everything started, after that two-week period that I previously spoke about, when it was still possible to get out of the house and walk around the park and not have those restrictions... Mm-hmm. I remember very vividly, I went to a small, a very small park by Harringay Green Lane's Overground Station. And there's this little path which just takes you up into a little garden reserve where there's like, you know, vegetable patches and like swings and, you know, mm-hmm. lots of trees and it's covered and shaded. Before then, i have been feeling quite down and questioning, I was like, what on earth am I going to do? And actually, I sat down and I took my headphones with me and I listened to some music. And that was the first piece of music that I'd actually sat down and listened to in quite a long time. And I shed a couple of tears over it actually. And I was just singing along, singing along to some of the music I was listening to. And actually, just that joy of being able to sit down and sing, you know, even if it was just along to my headphones and nobody was listening to me or whatever. But I walked away and I just felt a lot happier. And, you know, I was able to go on and carry on you know with my day and Mm -hmm. you know it's those small moments which just you can hold on to and can keep you going almost on an hour to hour basis and so there's small moments like that there's the excitement and the hope of what's to come and thinking about possibilities uh, for all my groups and from an artistic perspective of what we can do and what we can achieve together when this is all over
1: under licence to sing Christmas carols at the end of March.
0: Oh goodness me, indeed, indeed. Well, it's it's great because um, the joy of conducting a women's choir actually is that you know there isn't as much well-known repertoire out there, so it means that you can go out and explore and pick up new things. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm making the most of my time to find new composers, find new pieces which we can exhibit and and try out come Christmas time. But yes, it is rather strange as the spring arrives to be singing Christmas carols in your bedroom.
1: (laughs) But what I thought you were also saying was that you're on clearly a journey of discovery in all sorts of ways at the moment. And at times that is truly harrowing. But when you were in that little park, Mm. and you put on your headphones. I don't think you were just talking about that experience of deep listening where you felt a connection with the music.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But presumably for you and and the career you are hoping to continue with, you were connecting with music behind all the activity and all the organisation and the Mm -hmm. performance anxiety and whatever it is that actually helped you because actually beneath it all was this joy... This connection with music that could sustain you.
0: Correct. And it, it comes from a deep love and a deep enthusiasm for something that I've been very fortunate to be able to turn into my profession. And I think for most, I hope, uh, every professional musician and every, every amateur musician at every level, the first requirement that allows you, makes you, pulls you to step across that threshold and take your seat in a choir or in an orchestra or uh, even if you're singing in the shower is first and foremost that deep love and that deep passion Mm -hmm. for the music and that it touches you and that it can give you comfort and give you enjoyment and satisfaction that's that's essential absolutely essential
1: it's often a really interesting question indeed a challenge in mental health that when one might be trying to offer support to someone you never know, and I'm going to put this in terms of musical language, I hope, mm-hmm. whether they would be soothed by some sort of soft, melodic music that kind of yeah, helps them relax and puts them in touch with something calming, perhaps mm-hmm. beautiful in, in simple terms. And then the more jarring, perhaps even at times angry, aggressive, mm. or distressing sounds that you might also come across in, in the whole of music is just so vast as a, mm-hmm. an area of creativity did you oscillate like that were there days where you'd be sort of listening to i don't know mozart and the other days the second viennese school
0: absolutely and, and it's interesting because you're, you're absolutely right music does have it's quite cliche but it like sport it does have the power to transport you out of your current state and it can take you anywhere where you want to go depending on what mood you're in or how you're feeling so Mm -hmm. if you want to listen to some quite arresting Schoenberg and you're feeling (laughs) quite angry and you're feeling you know you're quite angry with the world actually you know you can go away and listen to that but actually there's some very beautiful Schoenberg out there as well and Mm -hmm. quite romantic Schoenberg and that can lift you into a slightly different place into a slightly different room So I must say for myself, I haven't found myself being drawn to any particular kind of music at the moment. It does tend to be choral stuff, but that's partly because of the fact of uh, my experiences as a singer and choral conducting. It does tend to be choral. But I've also been listening to Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony, actually, number six, Mm -hmm. as a symphony, as a piece. It's music itself. I encourage everybody to go away and listen to it because it does cover everything there is a storm passage but there's also this wonderful beautiful idea of spring and hope and uplifting times but there's also that discord and that discontent and Mm. the the anxiety captured in it as well but also the hope and the repose that follows so
1: well it's been really great listening to you share all the different experiences you've had and what what's helped we in this series have been asking the people who join us (laughs) to think about some things that might help in a rather different way in terms of how you cope with the issues of of frustration and the challenges of lockdown or isolation. Mm. And so I'd like to ask a question as we move towards our close today, Jack. If you were, with the benefit of all sorts of supernatural powers, able to re-enter a period of isolation or lockdown, (laughs) but with three famous or prominent people to help keep you company during that time who would you choose musicians or normal people <laughs> oh i didn't realize mere mortals um were not the same as musicians not at all not at
0: all i i say that with great love and respect only because we're rather strange people so strange <laughs> people or wonderful normal people
1: <laughs> okay so literally anyone historical current you know contemporary it really doesn't matter what field Very good. So
0: I have a great admiration for Barack Obama, and I think Barack Obama would be a good person to have around right now. He's very calm, very methodic, also very inspiring as well, but he would keep everybody calm and also an excellent leader as well, and I think he'd be able to lead me out of my troubles.
1: Okay, so somebody who could help you weather the storms, I guess, going back to the, the pastoral symphony idea. Another person...
0: I would like to be stuck with Simon Rattle. Simon Rattle inspires me more than any other conductor. He's one of my favourite conductors ever. And again, very cool, very calm personality, and also again a great leader. Actually, both great leaders in their in their specific fields.
1: Okay, and somebody who can sort of harmonise all the forces of an orchestra, or uh, I guess sometimes smaller forces, to create such fantastic results. Yeah. One last choice, then. I would take Billy Connolly uh, because
0: I think it's very important to laugh and smile during these times. And I think Billy Connolly is one of the most funniest comedians I ever. And he would give everybody from Barack, Simon, and myself. Everybody would be smiling and everybody would be happy. Billy Connolly, Barack Obama, and, and Simon Rattle. That's quite a. Uh, <laughs> that's quite a room.
1: <laughs> that's quite a cocktail, I think. <laughs> quite a kick with that one I would suggest. (laughs) So you've got your three people, Mm -hmm. you're allowed to take some piece of media with you and I say media because it could be a book, could be a piece of music, could be a film, could even be a recording of a play or a sports match even. Mm. What do you think would be a really nice piece of creative content to take in with you?
0: If possible I would take the recording of the 2019 Cricket World Cup final okay, with uh, England against New Zealand because I think it's one of the most exciting pieces of sport ever. And I would take the BBC Test Match special commentary team with me as well because I think it would just be fantastic viewing and very, very exciting and it would never get
1: old or boring or dumb. It would also go on for quite a long time, so... Uh... You mentioned Wagner earlier. It would also go on
0: for quite a long time. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and
1: then finally a luxury that you could take with you, something that you can have free reign to choose, perhaps apart from a time machine.
0: I would take a radio as a luxury item just to sort of hear what was going on in the rest of the world on this desert island that I would be stranded on. I'd take a radio, so I could listen to the cricket and I could listen to Radio 3 and a bit of Radio 4 maybe in the morning as well. That would keep me going.
1: Well, I think we'll allow you some headphones as well, just in case things kick off between Barack, Sir Simon and Billy.
0: (laughs) 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 Thank you. You,
1: We can never tell. (laughs) Indeed. Right. Well, thank you very much, Jack. And it's been... A real pleasure just to hear of how you've managed to reconnect with so much that's valuable in your life and this prospect already of something better, at least towards the end of the year and hopefully sooner. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful.